this is our second uh, in our teaching series on the seven signs in the book of John. Don't worry if you missed last week, they all sort of stand alone, but I would recommend listening to Alex's talk online. It's very good, actually. So, um, <laughs> actually, it's not a surprise, this is very good. Um, so, so, these seven signs in John, there's these, uh, these seven miracles that are signposts to the kingdom of heaven, to the promises of God being fulfilled. They're moments when we see what the kingdom of heaven is like. They're moments of transformation, moments of freedom, moments of people being made whole, of death being reversed, of physics being defied. These signs, these miracles are a taste, a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. And this kingdom of heaven, as Alex said last week, is a future reality. There's a time when history will end and the kingdom of heaven will be made a reality. Um, And that's written about in the last book of the Bible in Revelation. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So the kingdom of heaven is a future reality. There will be a time when there's no more death, no more crying, no more sickness. But it's also a present reality. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here. Through him we can experience the kingdom of heaven. And last week we learned that, um, and Alex told us that this would impress our friends. I've not found this to be true. It's called an eschatological inbreaking. And it means that these are the moments when we see the kingdom of heaven on earth. And you know, I've been thinking about this. We're seeing glimpses of that all the time. Um, our vision at Harbour is to play our part in the re-evangelization of the nation, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society. And in every part of that, we see glimpses of this kingdom of heaven. But I think for me particularly, I've been seeing that um, in our vision to transform society because it's here that we're seeing moments of freedom, moments of transformation. And Liz spoke to us two weeks ago about how we want to be a church for the city. And when we go and run Alpha in a prison, when we give a foot massage to a woman who has uh, been a victim of domestic violence, when we give a coat to a homeless person, we're doing what we humanly can. But it's not a miracle. But when through what we can do as humans, Jesus brings transformation and healing and freedom, and he brings hope to those who have lost all hope, that's when we see an inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven. That's a glimpse of a time when there'll be no hunger, no injustice, no poverty. I'm desperate to see more of that here in Portsmouth. Liz and I actually had a meeting with the head teacher of our local primary school to talk about how we can partner up, how we can transform this city, how we can transform Port Sea. And I'm desperate to see it happen. And I know that no matter how much I want transformation here, Jesus wants it more. So if you feel excited about that, one last plug. Um, Our For the City Vision Night on Wednesday at Harbour Church Commercial Road. We would love to see you there. We're going to be praying into these things. We're going to be visualising together about how we as a church can play our part in the transformation of society. That's the last time we'll talk about it, I promise. Except maybe at the end. Um, But these seven signs in John's Gospel show us exactly what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Exactly how one encounter with Jesus can change everything. Last week, Alex spoke to us about the moment that Jesus healed a paralyzed man, the moment that a man who had been waiting for healing for 38 years finally experienced freedom. And this week, we're looking at the miracle, the moment that Jesus walked on water. 
And before we read it, the context is that just before this happened, Jesus um, has fed 5,000 men plus women and children from one packed lunch. So this amazing miracle I won't talk about because we're going to hear about it in a few weeks' time, so I won't give it away. But this is the context. This has just happened. And then Jesus withdraws. And we start at verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they'd rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So the miracle, the sign here is obviously Jesus walking on water. He has power over nature. He's defying the very laws of physics. But before we look at what the significance is of this, I think there's a few other things we can learn from this passage. The first is that the disciples leave Jesus behind. I'm sure we've all left something behind before. Maybe we've left someone behind before. I know me and my brother, both at various points in our childhood, were left places, which I assume is normal, but maybe not. Anyway, I started thinking about this, um, and I found a list of things that were left behind in travel lodges last year. Here are some of my favourites. A bath full of Jersey potatoes. (laughs) 20 Bob the Builder costumes, including work belts and hats. A canoe. A degree in engineering. Life-size cutouts of Ryan Gosling and Brad Pitt. That was me. Two fish called gin and tonic, a dog called Betsy, and a (laughs) mother-in-law. So uh, I hope they're true. I hope they're true. So I don't know if the disciples just forgot Jesus or whether he said, oh, wait for me a minute. They got really bored and went. Or they thought, oh, he's gone down the other side of the mountain. We've missed him. We'll see him on the other side. I don't know. Either way, they end up heading out in the dark onto a notoriously dangerous body of water. So it's dark, and the lake, the Sea of Galilee, is particularly dangerous because it's surrounded by mountains, so you couldn't see a storm until it was right on top of you. So it's dangerous, but it's also a body of water they know really well. They've been fishing there most of their lives. This is something they've done many times before. So for whatever reason, they've left Jesus behind, and they're not expecting him to show up. They're not expecting him to be part of this normality. And I can understand that. They've just seen Jesus perform this amazing miracle to over 5,000 people. And then within 24 hours, they're back in their ordinary, normal environment. I don't know about you, but I'm perhaps not always expecting Jesus to turn up in my everyday. I'm really, really ready for him on Sunday. But I'm not expecting him necessarily to turn up at my desk or at my pub or when I'm doing at my pub, at the pub. (laughs) That's my dream. Um, Or when I'm doing the washing up. Um, But the thing is, if I'm not expecting Jesus to turn up in the ordinary, then presumably I'm not then expecting him to turn up in the storm. John writes that a a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. The disciples are experienced. They know exactly what this means. And I wonder if this is the point where someone remembers that they've left Jesus behind. Because they're about to find themselves in the middle of the storm and it looks like they'll be facing it on their own. So first, they don't expect Jesus. Secondly, they don't recognize Jesus. Their focus is entirely on the storm, as you'd think it would be. They're a long way from the certainty of shore. It's dark, they've lost their bearings, there's huge waves crashing into their boat. So is it any wonder that when they 
to add to that, see someone walking towards them, they are afraid. Because they're not expecting Jesus to turn up. Obviously, they don't recognize him when they see a man walking on water. And yet they know him so well. By this point, they've spent so much time with him. They've eaten dinner with him many times. They've talked with him. They've watched him perform miracles. But they don't recognize him in the middle of the storm. I think it's easy to recognize Jesus when things are going well. 24 hours early, they'd have had no problem picking him out of a crowd. Things were going really well. But now it's dark. He's obscured by waves. And fear has overtaken them. Jesus hasn't changed. But their circumstance has And I can relate to that, I think. When things are going well, when life is good, I find it so easy to say, yeah, Jesus is good. But when darkness falls and the storm hits, I'm not so sure I can recognize him among the waves. Because when things don't turn out as we hope, when we're hurt, when we're disappointed and grieving, when we're just struggling, it's easy to believe that we've been neglected by Jesus, or even to believe that Jesus and the storm are one and the same. When the disciples saw Jesus, they were scared. They didn't think he was there to rescue him. They thought it was another thing to be frightened of, indistinguishable from the storm. And it's not until they hear his voice that the penny drops. They weren't expecting him. They didn't recognize him. But now, finally, they fix their eyes on Jesus. In six words, everything changes. It is I. Don't be afraid. And in hearing his voice, the disciples recognize who he is. The same Jesus that they know so well, the same Jesus who was there in their good times, is suddenly louder than the storm that they're in. Their focus is no longer on the wind and the waves and the darkness, but on this man who loves them. Their focus is on Jesus, who they weren't expecting, who they didn't recognize, but who walked four miles on water to get to them. What a moment of relief that must have been. It's okay. It's Jesus. I am, as many of you know, I play hockey. I bang bang on about it all the time. Um, But when I when I go training, okay, I haven't been to training for a very long time. But when I when I used to go to training, um, what you get told all the time is look up, look up, look up. Because when you've got the ball and there's loads of angry women running towards you with hockey sticks, (laughs) the thing that seems natural is to look down. But all the time you're told to look up because the only way out of that is to look up and see your way out. Jesus doesn't tell the disciples to ignore the storm, but by calling to them, he focuses their attention on him. It's me. You know who I am. Look at me. But what I love about this story, actually, is that in this account written by John, the storm doesn't stop. And actually, this story goes well beyond the disciples just fixing their eyes on Jesus. We know Jesus has power over nature. We know he has the power to calm storms. We read about it in Matthew and Mark and Luke, actually. But instead, in this account, Jesus just gets into the boat. He doesn't stand on the water looking impressive and godly. He doesn't stand there telling them why walking on water is cool and why staying in a boat being scared is not. He climbs into their situation, into their fear. So whilst the sign of the kingdom of heaven in this story is absolutely the miracle of Jesus walking on water, defying physics, it's also a miracle of intimacy. Jesus climbs into the boat. He draws near to his friends in the middle of the storm. And unlike lots of other miracles we read out in the Gospels, there's no audience for this. This is just an intimate moment between Jesus and his friends. He gets close, he gets proximate, and his presence is all that the disciples need. Jesus was so desperate to be with them in the middle of the storm that he walked four miles on water to get to them. 
Jesus is so desperate to be with us in the middle of our storms that he died on a cross. Our lives are unpredictable, changeable, sometimes really hard, but Jesus is constant, constantly good, and he's always the same. So even when everything around us changes, when the storm starts, the truth that Jesus is the beginning and the end, the Prince of Peace, our Savior, who died on the cross because he loves us, stays the same. But I think there's one more thing to notice in this story, actually. Because for the disciples to experience this intimacy with Jesus, they had to invite him in. Verse 20 says, he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Jesus doesn't force his presence on the disciples. He shows them who he is. He turns up and the rest is up to them. And when they invite him in, the storm outside the boat doesn't stop. But I think the storm in the boat does. Because Jesus brings with him his peace. The Bible says that Jesus brings a peace that is beyond understanding. And I actually think this is a really good example of that because peace should not be happening in the middle of this storm. That's beyond our understanding. This is another inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven, I think. Peace in the middle of fear and chaos. Jesus won't force his way into your life or into your storm. That's absolutely our decision. And it might be that this is your first time at church and you're not sure what you think or what you even think about what's happened in the last hour. But the encouragement here is that Jesus is here offering his presence and it's totally up to you whether or not you let him in. Storms will come, that's guaranteed. And I believe Jesus absolutely has power to change them. He has power to change situations, power to heal, power to turn things upside down. But I actually think this story is teaching us That life isn't about dodging storms. It's about letting Jesus in, letting Jesus bring his peace in the middle of that storm. So wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever storm you might be facing, first expect that Jesus will show up. In fact, he's there already. He already has been. Then recognize Jesus as the same God who never changes, who's always good, regardless of what's going on. Fix your eyes on him. Look to Jesus instead of the storm. And then invite him in. Draw near to him. Let him in as he draws close to you. And allow yourself to experience his peace that goes beyond our understanding. And I think um, it would be good to just spend some time asking God to bring that peace. Um, So would you stand if you're able? Um, I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to pray.